Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Today's conversation is an uncomfortable one. If you do have little ones in the room, you may want to move them to another room. Today we will be discussing healthy sexuality within the church as well as clergy sexual misconduct. So we are really caught in a situation where, no, we don't want to talk about this with our kids because they're not really developmentally ready for these complex conversations. But they're already having them. You know, like they're anybody at school shows them something, um, you know, and they start talking about it as friends. And let's face it, all you have to do is drive down uh, a couple of streets in Winnipeg and we've got like versions of soft porn on some of the billboards. We, we live in a really hyper-sexualized culture, and so I don't think the church can really afford the silence. We're joined today by Valerie Hebert. She is the program coordinator with MCC's Abuse Response and Prevention Program, as well as a professor at the University of Manitoba. She has been on our show before in the past to discuss clergy sexual misconduct. In that conversation, she also brought up how important it is as a church to discuss healthy sexuality. Well, today on Connections, we're going to join those two together and share how discussing healthy sexuality in the church can prevent clergy sexual misconduct. We're joined today by Val Hebert, and we chatted with you a couple months back, and that was about sexual misconduct, clergy sexual misconduct, Mm -hmm. to be specific. And in that conversation, you brought up the importance of discussing healthy sexuality in the church and the importance of that. Now, today we want to dig deeper into that topic. Let's just get that conversation started. Why is it so important to discuss healthy sexuality in the church? Well, there's there's sort of two things going on at the same time. Uh, I call it culture math. We have uh, purity culture, which is very focused on don't have sex. And then in the process teaches you nothing about healthy sexual development or what healthy sexuality is versus unhealthy sexuality. There's no conversations about consent because um, – I assume the church is too afraid to talk about having sex because they want to make sure you don't until you're married. So they they don't want to broach the subject. So we've got that piece sitting there, which is a great deal of silence about sex and sexuality and sexual development. And then we have the porn culture. And we first of all, we already know that about 70% of evangelical Protestant youth are sexually active based on the studies. And there's numerous studies by now showing rates around that. And then we have uh, the the porn culture, which is much broader than the church. But this rates we're seeing there is quite high inside the Christian population. There's virtually no difference between the rates of porn consumption in the society more generally and uh, people inside the church. And that includes pastors. I think it's about 50% of pastors talk about struggling with porn um, and a number of them who are addicted. So what you have is complete silence inside the church about discussing healthy sexuality and a lot of noise and roar in general culture. And porn scripts are quite uh, toxic in all sorts of ways because porn does not present sex as it really happens and porn conflates violence with sexual arousal the highest percentage of downloaded porn right now is violent porn so you know slapping kicking choking 
Um, the more extreme porn even has like really s significant degrees of torture. And that's all conflated with sexual desire. And the neuroscience is now showing us that porn actually functions very much like a drug in the brain. You, you, and to get your next dopamine hit in porn, you have to go to more extreme forms of porn. And so when you enter the world of porn, you're at risk of that uh, escalation into more and more violent porn. So you've got these two things, which uh, we know our youth are engaged in inside the church. Uh, sexual activity and uh, porn consumption. So complete silence and lots of loudness. And that makes all of us profoundly vulnerable uh, inside our marriages, uh, inside healthy dating relationships, and also lands up preparing people to be victims. Because um, you don't you don't know anything about consent. Wow, I've talked a very long time. Sorry. Go ahead and ask me some questions. No, that's good. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, specifically about, well, either subject, sexual activity or pornography. I can hear some parents already. Why are you talking about this? My kid was in the car and they're going to get angry and email me. And I'm going to say, oh, sorry. you're welcome. <laughs> I'm going to say you're welcome because. The reality is, uh, well, like you said, kids are sexually active within evangelical circles. But the age of um, first, um, like when kids first see pornography now, it's getting younger and younger. I'm hearing more and more like eight years old, nine years old, seeing pornography for the first time. So yep. guess what? You want to have those conversations yeah. with your children pretty early, don't you? You do. They're not actually developmentally ready, but they're already seeing the porn. So we are really caught in a situation where, no, we don't want to talk about this with our kids because they're not really developmentally ready for these complex conversations, but they're already having them. You, you know, like they're anybody at school shows them something, um, you know, and they start talking about it as friends. And let's face it, all you have to do is drive down uh, a couple of streets in Winnipeg and we've got like versions of soft porn on some of the billboards. We we live in a really hyper-sexualized culture. And so I don't think the church can really afford the silence. So this is a great conversation starter, obviously, us discussing this today. How does a Would, church start that conversation if they're afraid to, you know, they're so afraid to to speak? Yes. Um, I think, and it depends how extreme the period, like really um, purity culture actually insists that um, that uh, condoms don't prevent STIs and condoms don't prevent pregnancy. So purity culture at large actually offers inaccurate information about sex. So some of that has got to change. We have to be honest with our youth about those basic things. But my suggestion would be to actually start by talking about um, the beauty of, of the sexual impulse and then uh, the, the deep responsibility of that, because that's going to be a significant part of most of their relationships if they choose a, to partner, you know, a lifelong partnering. And so they need to understand their own bodies. They need to feel positive about them. Inside purity culture, women are told that their bodies are problematic for males because they cause males to sin. And males are told that any sexual impulse is automatically lust. Okay, well, that's utterly impossible. 
for either end of that to live with. And so what we're seeing in a lot of the studies is the, the psychosexual damage being done because women have really antagonistic relationships with their bodies. And then the big promise that sex will be awesome if you save it for marriage turns out not to be at all true because you don't know anything. <laughs> um, and and males are, are, are um, feel as if they're just constant failures. Yeah. For what is actually perfectly healthy sexual desire and development. If if we can't embrace that beauty and be willing to talk about it, they're going to go find that information elsewhere. So we need you know, you need to talk about things like when you're in a meaningful relationship, what 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 are you going to use as your guidelines for exploring um, what healthy sexuality would look like. We also don't have um, conversations about masturbation, even though masturbation, if well managed and controlled, can be a very healthy way of managing your sexuality. If you're choosing not to be you know, sexually active prior to marriage, there are awful ways uh, to masturbate and there are healthy ways, but we, we don't talk about that. And you might have to cut this out, this piece, because I've just said masturbation out loud. And in the church, that's really not allowed. <laughs> but the reality is almost everyone is. So many so, things aren't allowed that we find talked about pretty openly in Scripture. <laughs> but then you yep. mention it in the foyer and everybody looks at everybody you, right? Is, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I have a, there's one church now that asked me to come into their youth group to talk about pornography. So we, we did that and it went really well. And then they've now asked me to return to talk to their adults so that, so that the adults are actually hearing the very things that I'm teaching the kids about um, pornography. If, if we just, and I think I said this in our previous conversation, if we just, uh, demonize or moralize and condemn, then all that happens is those participating in porn or premarital sexuality are going to turtle. And that is what's happening. Yeah. And so remember, we have to learn to talk about it. I remember being at um, a denominational pastors, leaders kind of workshop weekend conference all the heads of the denomination were there talking to the pastors of the denomination, right? And um, and at one point, it turns to moral failure, which includes use of pornography for pastors. That's a moral failure. And the person talking kind of just went on a really angry tirade. If you are using it, we have ways to find it. We will catch you. We will remove you. And I'm looking around like, well, half the people here are using it, and if they were coming here hoping to finally get help and yep, confess yep. and yep. get some understanding and move forward in repentance, it's not happening now. No. They've just been driven further into the yep. darkness and isolation, right? Yeah. What, what we actually need to do is not moralize it and instead talk about how, what it, how it conflates violence with arousal, how it's potentially addictive the harm that it does inside of relationships. And probably one of the most harmful things is, is that it creates what we call spectatoring because you 
if you consume pornography, you have all these visual social scripts in your head of what sex is supposed to look like. And real sex doesn't look like that. But that's all you've got. You've been taught nothing inside the church. You've got your, your porn scripts. And what happens is you learn to watch yourself inside of the sexual act uh, to see if you're doing it right. Because that's what you've been given. And I, I do lots of premarital coaching. And this is a thing. Um, partners asking their partners to do things they saw in porn, uh, trying to create a porn script. And, and it takes you out of the moment uh, completely in, in ways that are, are really, really distressing. So sex is about how it should be about how it feels and about what it means. But porn encourages to think about how it looks and how it's performed. And when you consume lots of porn, that becomes your basic orientation to sex. Instead of, instead of actually inhabiting that moment and feeling what you're feeling and the meanings that two people are creating together, instead you're watching what you're doing. And it's called spectatoring. And it's, it uh, go ahead. I was just going to say it affects us all around. And like you were saying in our last conversation, stuff like this even leads to situations such as clergy yeah. sexual misconduct. Yep, it sure does. Um, because now you have, our, all of our leaders are also steeped in purity culture and struggling with porn. And all of our um, non-partnered, you know, folk who are not inside marriages, but also those inside marriages. Rates are showing that about 55% of married Christian men uh, watch porn monthly and some weekly, and many of them report doing that at work. So um, there's, it, it's there. And if we don't understand the harm we're doing to ourselves, and I think that's the real traction we need to get in the conversation. I'm going to harm myself if I do this, not you're a bad person and you're a sinner and you better stop that because there's no tools there. Right. Other than yeah. sheer willpower. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you stop it on your own before we catch right. you. So exactly. Like, <laughs> and that doesn't not, sound like discipleship yeah. with me. And that doesn't sound like Jesus's invitation. Come to me, all ye who are weary. Right. Yeah. That's and he exactly talks about right, that Mike. yoke. Yeah. Yeah. Getting all but, worked up now. <laughs> but that, that just, yeah, that just causes shame and that causes everyone to shut down and then no one has any help and they're alone. So what yeah. is the answer? Like more talking about it. How in the world? I remember when I took over as lead pastor of my church where I'd been youth pastor for a number of years. And one of my first meetings with the elders, I said, one of the first sermon series I would like to do is on sex and all mouths dropped and heads shook. Right. And no, not yet. We're not ready for that as a congregation. Yeah. And it never did happen because they were never ready never, for never it. Ready. They, oh, but it's good an for you that you wanted to. <laughs> right. But it is. And that's part of the problem. It doesn't need to be. Yeah. Like it doesn't need to be. Is it because of purity culture that we're so uncomfortable with sex or? I, I mean, the know. church, the church historically doesn't have a good track record mm. <laughs> on that, right? Like it used to be that an ejaculation took a year off your life, apparently. So um, and the church taught that. <laughs> so we don't, uh, we've never been particularly good at this, but purity culture, which emerged in the States 
um, and it's probably its most unique manifestation is the purity culture balls. I don't know if you're at all familiar with those. No. But this is where um, a father takes his daughter to a purity culture ball. Um, he gives her a ring that signifies uh-huh. that she has given her purity to him to protect and that she will remain pure. She will sometimes give a key to her virginity. There will be dancing and there'll be a cross and she'll lay the rose of her virginity at the foot of the cross. She'll wow. sign a covenant together with her dad to keep herself pure. I know um, they talk about girls going on dates with their dads in ways that uh, like, if you check it out, it's um, you, you, if you Google this, you're going to find lots of people talking about being purity culture victims. Yes, that's um, part of my experience here, especially from a lot yeah. of women, but also men. And abstain, abstain, abstain. It's gross. Once you get married, it's going to be awesome. And then once they get married, they have even bigger problems with yep. sex and they continue to feel guilty. Yep. Yep. You can't spend your entire life equating sex with shame as a way to control yourself from not having sex and then enter your wedding night and think that that is just going to disappear. That all comes along for years and years and years. So women who have anorgasmia, like they can't orgasm because they're just too tied up in knots because their whole life they've been shutting this part of themselves down. Men with erectile dysfunction because they can't perform in a context like that and where there's no porn images available. So there's really deep sexual dysfunction Instead of it being a celebration of a union, you know, it's and porn takes us away from what I think are really healthy, good ways of entering into sexual relationship because the the body of the beloved has its own erogenous map. And the beauty of entering into discovering that body and learning what that body likes and doesn't like and being able to talk about sex and vice versa, right? Those are all about feeling and listening and meaning and porn uh, superimposes itself on all of that because it teaches us that's about how it looks. And that's the stuff we have to talk about in the church. I want to just backtrack a little bit back to the stats and stuff too. Why are we still so surprised by this and pretending that this is not happening? Oh, Colleen, if I had the answer to that question, <laughs> then we'd have the answer to everything. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can theorize for you a bit. Um, I think that uh, right now uh, we don't even talk with each other about sexual relationships. So even with your friends, that's a verboten subject, sort of, right? We don't. And so nobody wants to admit first of all the dis- the sexual dysfunction in their own marriages the sexual struggles in their own marriages because that's private we've privatized that so intensely so even those who are already sexually active inside marriages the way they were supposed to do it are struggling with their sexuality they don't want to talk about that uh, many of the leaders have grown up inside purity culture they can't even say the word masturbation out loud i, I can't begin to tell you the, the shock that reverberates through a, one of my classrooms when we, we hit these topics in the course in marriage and family, because they've never heard anybody just say these things in a way that's comfortable. But we, we don't even, we can't even get the words out properly because we've not practiced it. So nobody wants to even start. 
And yes, there is this fear that if we talk about healthy sex, that we will have given them permission to go have sex before marriage, that those two are equated. And I think that's the biggest fear. I could imagine people sitting here listening and if, well, what is Professor Hebert saying? She wants my teenager to go have sex like crazy now, right? Like that's not what's being said. What's being said is you need to talk, have honest and open conversations, yep. be transparent. Yeah. Um, it's funny too, like we're sitting here and every time you say, like I can't even say them, right? Every time you say the word sex or <laughs> masturbation, I'm like. How am I going to look at Colleen the rest of the work day, right? <laughs> I feel myself starting to blush, but it, yep. it's uncomfortable. Yep. But that's just proof that it needs to happen then because we need to make it comfortable. Yep. And I, I can't even begin to explain this sort of melting relief that my students experience because I am not uncomfortable. And because I can speak of it without being uncomfortable, it makes everybody more comfortable. Hmm. But but if I'm like, you know, that that M thing or the, you know, the way we talk yeah. around these sorts of things, I'm cueing everyone that they should also feel awkward. Uh, which, as, yeah. as we're talking, one last thought that I had is just kind of came across my head and ah, I wonder if part of it lies in like our Western. We have an individualistic view of ah. salvation, right? Jesus came to save me. But the reality is Jesus came to redeem all of creation and all that was fallen, right? That includes our unhealthy views of sex, right? Christ came mm-hmm. to redeem everything, and that includes a healthy relationship between our yeah. bodies and another's. Yep, that's beautifully said. The most uncomfortable conversations are always the most important conversations. They are. They are. And they are yeah, we really need to raise a much healthier generation with better tools and the capacity to talk. Uh, Where, the other, go ahead, Colleen. No, you go ahead. Well, it's just it, so when someone gets caught in an exploitive relationship, clergy sexual misconduct, because we have wrapped sex in such airtight silence in the church, that's part of the reason that those things progress. Because she can't tell anyone. Yes. She can't tell anyone. So she's even more isolated. It's just problematic in so many ways. Let's start that conversation for people that are looking for resources or a place to start. Mm -hmm. Do you have any suggestions? Jamie and I are always happy to come in and talk to churches and youth groups. And so we're an immediate, like, in-person resource. Um, there's lots you can read by now about purity culture and some of the harm. I, I've not found a good condensed way to talk about the harms of pornography. Like, I, I mean, I've I've cobbled it together because I follow all the research and then I sort of put together my list. But I've not found a good comprehensive source for that yet. So maybe that's something that needs to get talked about as something we need to get published uh, as resources for the church. There isn't a lot out there yet. Because and uh, you'd be surprised how how busy I am with this topic right now. Uh, I, I just did a series for New Leaf Network, uh, a presentation on the same topic. Um, I I hope I think people already start talking about this, and I am so impressed with the two of you that you're willing to tackle this. Um, good for you. So you can always email me Val Hebert at mccmb.ca. 
That was going to be my next question. Where can people okay. contact you? But yes. you just gave it away. So that's yes. perfect. Yep, <laughs> they can contact me there. Um, I should probably put together a good resource guide. That would be a good idea, actually, as you ask yeah. me that. Because, um, I, I mean, I've, I've read lots of the studies, and I'm, but we need something that's sort of packaged in one space. It's a good I'm idea, on, Colleen. I've, I've yes. often wondered about doing a demon and focus somewhere on pornography and the church and, yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, Hmm. I don't want for, to go back to school, but I do. So maybe I will. <laughs> uh, for, um, for anyone who's wanting a full course, Jamie and I are actually teaching an entire course uh, at CMU this May. It'll be a one-week intensive. It's designed for pastors or those training for pastors or church leaders of any sort. Well, we're going to explore training for how to respond to domestic violence, boundary training for pastors so that because there are perpetrators who who commit sexual conduct and there are also what we call wanderers just flat out stressed out not good boundary keeping pastors who wander their way into really really bad choices <laughs> and do really bad things <laughs> but there are we sort of have two different categories there so we'll talk lots about that we'll talk about purity culture we'll talk about porn so we do have that all packaged, and that's going to go, uh, going to be offered as a course at Canadian Mennonite University this spring. We're just in the middle of establishing which week that will be, but we're really hoping um, that we'll get, you know, lots of folks in there. Awesome! Well, thank you so much for joining us again on the show. Love it, and for people that are kind of uneasy about this, well, that's your sign. Get started in moving <laughs> forward in this conversation. Yeah. Just practice saying the words out loud, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. We really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.